Hello and welcome to another episode of Flynn's Talk. I'm one half of the co-hosting panel, Jack Levitt, and joining me once again is Jeremy Gellman. Jez, welcome. Lovely to be here again, Jack, on the other side of this uh, delightful Zoom meeting. That's it. We're getting very used to it. Uh, Jez, uh, it's, it's been uh, great diving into some of the conversations we've had and, and, the, and the whole basis for setting up this podcast series um, was the fact that we aren't walking and talking at the moment, but we wanted to still make sure we were doing the talking part and having some meaningful conversations, uh, still raising awareness for what is happening out there in the veterinary field, um, highlighting some of those issues and and also chatting to people in the mental health space, um, ambassadors, professionals, um, and, and getting a real kind of broad uh, cross-section, if you like, of the different people that are contributing into helping make make some difference. Exactly right. We've met quite a few amazing people on our little Flynn's Walk journey, and this is a great opportunity for us to bring their stories to the wider population. Today, we're, uh, we're going to be joined by a special guest shortly in uh, Dr. Joan Norton, who has transitioned from uh, being a vet into something completely different, and, and we won't spoil it. We'll, we'll, you'll be able to hear her story as, as we speak to her, but Jez, one of the things in professional life and in working life, um, two of the most nerve-wracking words are probably career change or career transition. Yep, yeah, I, I know those two all too well. I I changed my my career that I've had. I've been in hospitality since I was 15 and recently last year changed to a completely different area. I work in, in homeless services um, and it's it's I know firsthand how scary and, and what a um, big change that can be. So it's... It's going to be a real real pleasure to talk to Joan about how that affected her and how she made it work. As we mentioned, our special guest for today's episode is Joan Norton, who started out in the veterinary field and uh, has taken somewhat of a a 360 pivot, Joan, and and possibly another 180 on top. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Pure wedding. (laughs) Exactly right. Welcome to Flint's Talk. Thanks very much. Now, really, really happy to be here and finally get a chance to chat with you guys. It's lovely to have you. Yeah, it is great. Uh, Joan and I actually connected last year on Are You OK Day, um, somewhat fittingly, but uh, I was championing the Are You OK message and, and went into work and, and actually shared a little bit of uh, my own story um, and losing Flynn. And following that, Joan reached out to me and um, we had a coffee and chatted and um, realized that she she had quite a story to tell. Uh, originally, Joan, home for you was New York, um, but you've moved to Australia and uh, now in mm-hmm. Melbourne. And yes, I guess take us back to where this all started and uh, why was it vet science to begin with? Yeah, so um, I did grow up in New York, in New York City, um, but started riding horses at a really young age. Um, and then my family moved, um, I guess, like into the suburbs in New Jersey, so that made um, riding and competing um, in equestrian events a lot easier. Um, and so that was like my big passion as a kid. And I was also like a huge math and science nerd. And so like, what do you tell a little girl that loves horses and also loves math and science? Like, you should just be a horse vet because like, that's how those two things go together. And I'm not sure who first like suggested it, but it, it seemed to then just become like my sole focus of, of everything. Like that was what I was going to do. Uh, no one was going to deter me from, <laughs> from my goal, even though I feel like most of the vets that I had working on my horses over the years tried to discourage me, which I think like in retrospect was interesting. They would say like, don't be a vet or be a small animal vet and just own horses. Like if you're a horse vet, you're never going to have horses again. And um, it was interestingly, but I'm 
I'm an incredibly stubborn person, so I didn't listen to anyone and kind of had this kind of single-minded focus of, of becoming a vet. Um, when I was an undergrad, so I guess in the U.S., you do have to do four years of undergrad before then doing the four-year um, doctorate of veterinary medicine. So during undergrad, I worked at Tufts University at the equine hospital um, and got to see what specialty practice was like in a, in a hospital setting. And I thought, oh, this is even better. Like it's a different type of case every day. It's really hard. They're complicated, you know, confusing cases. And then I worked a lot with the foals, like in the neonatal um, ICU that they had there and kind of fell in love with that bit as well. So then I kind of narrowed the focus even more of not just I'm going to go to vet school and be a horse vet, but I'm going to be an equine internal medicine specialist. I'm going to focus on, you know, doing neonatology. So kind of like going farther and farther down this tiny little niche. So I went to University of Pennsylvania for vet school and then did um, an internship it at a big equine practice in Kentucky. So we're kind of all the thoroughbred breeding happens. It's kind of like the Hunter Valley of the US. Uh, and then I went back to Penn and did a three-year residency in equine internal medicine. So I kind of, I think, like put my head down and ran full speed at this goal of becoming a, a you know boarded specialist. I don't, maybe never took a lot of time to think about what that life was actually like, and it was was more kind of just getting through the journey of it, um, and so yeah, super proud. I mean, I, I love I love it. I love thinking about cases. I love how complicated they are. They're kind of sometimes cases without real solutions, and I think I kind of thrive on on that kind of environment. I really like the emergency critical care stuff where it's a real kind of time pressure on top of um, solving something complicated. Right. Right. Yeah. So then did you do sort of the traditional path, I guess, out of out of uni and, and go through the clinical route after that? I practiced for a few years after my residency um, in the States. I did some kind of work at a smaller clinic in Indiana. And then I did some locum work at a couple hospitals like at Purdue University um, and did a little bit of teaching. And I think that I had probably had some questions about whether or not I wanted to stay in veterinary medicine even earlier than than I kind of admitted during the process. I mean, I remember times during my residency, I used to joke a lot about getting a job at a coffee shop, so much so that my advisor asked me to stop saying that because it made him nervous that I was actually going to leave and get a job at a coffee shop. Um, but I even remember like looking into going back because I, I, my undergrad degree is, is biotechnology. And so I like remember having a a phone call with a, one of my professors from undergrad talking about, you know, doing going back and getting a master's in biomechanical engineering, and is w- would that be something I was more interested in? So I think there was kind of always that kind of question of, you know, I'm was so focused on this end goal, but I didn't think about what the lifestyle was going to be like, and it was starting to wear on me, like the the on call and you know the very long hours that turn into long weeks that turn into long months types of things and. But I still kind of felt like that was what I was supposed to be doing. I think that's that's quite a common thing for uh, a lot of veterinarians that, that come out of uni and 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 dive headfirst into the clinical world and uh, all all that comes with that. When did the attention turn to the possibility, I suppose, of even moving to Australia? I was kind of looking around for different roles at the time, and I called a friend of mine who was working at the University of Queensland, and we had done our residency together. And I said, you know, hey, I'm looking for something new, you know, this kind of, this practice offered me a job. What do you think? Should I take it? And he said, no, don't. We're going to be opening up a role like in the next month or so down here, you should move to Australia, um, come work with us, the hospital. And so 
um, it was like really an intriguing proposition. So um, a lot of the people who worked in the clinic actually had worked at Penn before. So I knew quite a few of the vets that had already worked there. Um, it was like a, a bigger referral hospital. So technically, like with my training, it's what I was supposed to be doing. Um, I always felt a little bit guilty coming out of a residency and not going into referral practice right away because, again, it's like this is what you're supposed to do. You do vet school, you do the internship, you do the residency, then you get a job at university and live happily ever after <laughs> for you know the next 30 or 40 years. And so it was kind of like, well, this is this is the this is my dream job. This is the job that I was imagining having, you know, when I kind of started on this path. So um, it was a good time in my husband's career to make a move. And so we decided, why not? We would move to Australia and give it a go. Um, and so that was in 2014. We were living outside of Brisbane because the vet hospital is quite a ways out of Brisbane. Um, and I needed to be within about 30 minutes of the clinic for all of the on-call that I did. Um, and I guess within like a year of being there, I got made the director of the equine hospital. So I've always been interested in in how things run, like the business of of, of the practice. Um, I kind of ran my own consulting firm in the States before we moved. And so I've always kind of been interested in that side of things. And so um, I think my love of efficiency and, and making things work better um, kind of led me to, to taking over that role, which I was really happy to take. Um, but as I think anybody that works at a university, especially in like in a medical field in the university, they're very happy for you to take on new roles and responsibilities. Um, and people always seem to forget to take things away um, off of your plate. And so, you know, I took on this additional role of, of being the hospital director and really wanted to, to succeed at that, but then kind of, but felt that I was starting to stretch myself even thinner than I had been before. So we were, the medicine department at that point was a two-person team, but my, um, the other person in my team did an awful lot of research, really big, important research that took him out of the clinic for weeks at a time. And so I'd find myself, I think I did once like a nine-week stretch where I was the only clinician. So I was, you know, on call 24-7. Um, I, think I, I think I counted like 60-something days of going into the clinic every day <laughs> continuously. Um, so I think that kind of... Um, again, started like the wearing that I probably was feeling during my residency when I was joking about getting a job at a coffee shop or going back to biomechanical engineering, <laughs> um, wanting to be a better hospital director and being the super nerd that I am, I thought, well, maybe if I get an MBA, then I can be even more effective at this job. And then I think in my head, I was probably also thinking, is that a way that I could maybe transition myself into some more kind of director leadership roles and, and get actually get out get off the clinic floor um right so and and you moved into the mba in 2016 and looking back now a few years on how, how do you um rank that decision i suppose it was like the probably it's probably one of the best decisions i've ever made um because i think it really opened my eyes to um what i really loved about about my role so i think what i've realized and probably has been true all along is that what I love is really hard, complicated, complex problems. And I love solving problems. And I love digging down to the root of why they're there. And then, you know, coming up with the diagnostic plan to to kind of solve the case and then trying to figure out what to do next. So I think that's why I loved internal medicine. Um, 
and I don't think I ever realized that that there were so many other things I could apply that skill set to, um, that it was a really valuable like that problem ability to really um, to tear a problem apart and build it back together is a really valuable skill set, and it, you could do a lot of different things. Um, I think one thing that we get into in veterinary medicine because it it takes so long and because it often is a lifelong dream or ambition of the people that get into it is you kind of get into this this mindset that it's the only thing you can do or it's the only thing that you should do even like I think with inside the industry we say it to ourselves like I remember when I first started making noise about wanting to do something different or couldn't I do something different with the skills that I had you know everyone in the office was like what are you talking about like you're you worked so hard to do this like this is what else could we possibly do this is what we do this is who we are um and I guess maybe I kind of felt like it had defined me, but it didn't really feel like that's who I necessarily was. You know, it, it was becoming like 100% of my time and of my effort and of my focus, but I never felt like it was 100% of who I actually was, which I guess like, I guess really made me sad in that I felt like there was this part of me that wasn't getting to live because I kind of didn't do anything but work at that time. Um, and then I think you get it from the outside too, um, maybe even more of like, you know, like, God, but you've always wanted to do this. And what else would you possibly do? How, you know, like, again, this kind of idea that, that you're defined by what you do. And that's kind of you're you become this one dimensional character. Um, and so I think the MBA really helped me realize that, that that's not true. Like I, I actually could do other things. I actually had a, a professor kind of sit me down in one of the first courses of the MBA and say like, what you're doing right now is not sustainable for your life. And there is a lot of other things that you could do. And if you want to, you should. <laughs> um, and I feel like that, that was like a huge turning point for me was realizing, realizing that I could. Um, it probably took me then like another year and a half to fully commit to leaving practice and, and leaving the profession. Um, mostly because it's like, it's really scary. Like you spend such a long time becoming this one thing and driving into this one tiny niche of a of a definition of yourself and then to think you're just going to kind of jump off the precipice and, and be someone yeah, trying to reinvent yourself. Yeah, exactly. Even though you're, you, even though I think what I've realized is that I didn't really like, I'm, I'm the same person. I'm just like letting other parts of me yep. do the things that they like to do as well. Yeah, exactly. Right. I, I want to just weave back a couple of steps. You obviously hopped around within the States. Home was New York and um, university in Penn. And you, yep. and you mentioned Jersey, Kentucky as well. Mm -hmm. uh, then you've kind of, I guess, uprooted. You've moved to Brisbane, yeah. a new new country, new city, new workplace um, at the University of Queensland. And yep. how did you go wrapping your head around all of that change plus then being in this this new university and new work environment? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's kind of the environment where I did my residency. So I did it at a university teaching hospital. So I kind of knew, I knew a little bit what that was like. I think I was, a, I think I probably got a little bit of a false sense of what it was because the University of Pennsylvania's um, hospital works a little bit differently. They, they're huge and they have the luxury of having um, like a separate emergency department from their kind of daytime internal medicine department. And so, you know, the emergency clinicians that I was working with at night during my residency weren't necessarily the ones that were working during the day. And then the people that I worked with during the day didn't do emergency services at night because we had a special, like a dedicated department for that. Whereas 
I think most everywhere else in the world, and certainly Gatton is the case, is if you're the clinician on, you're seeing all the appointments and working on cases all day. And then when the first emergency comes in after five o'clock, you're also the doctor that stays up and sees all the emergencies at night and then just kind of starts the day all over again. Um, I think that's just one of the, I, it's like the harsh reality of the economics of equine practice is that, you know, there's just not the kind of the ins and outs doesn't allow for kind of two totally totally different sets of, of doctors and staff to run the clinic at night as it does during the day, which is, I think, small animal can, you know, gets away with that a bit more of having emergency services run the overnight and, and a different set of people come in during the day. So was that something that made life a bit easier on you or, or would that, did that make it more difficult? No, it definitely made it more difficult just because I yeah. think it, it, it becomes, it can become, if you let it, it can become kind of never ending. Um, yeah. And so like we, my husband and I, joke now that there was like one stretch um when i was working at gatton where i went i went home every day for about eight or nine days in a row but i never actually saw him so like he was like a lump on the other side of the bed when i got home and then i would get up and leave before he got up and um you know and that's just that's just never fun <laughs> and was it was that something that was expected of you by the by the hospital or that was you putting in the putting in that sort of extra effort. Uh, so, I mean, was that, was that the, was that the sort of workplace um, environment at that time? Well, I think, I mean, I think part of it is, yes, it's like the unfortunate reality of having a small team yeah. trying to run a 24 yeah. hour um, hospital. I, I'll take full credit that I <laughs> went above and beyond and probably could have gone home earlier or not checked yeah. those cases again, or, yeah. you know, there could have been times where I went back in on a, at night or on a weekend that maybe other people wouldn't have. And so one thing about like the transition for me, and I think why I took so long, like the year and a half of kind of working part-time at the clinic and part-time finishing the MBA and, and starting to pick up some other roles and try to think of what else I wanted to do was like that feeling of, of like guilt or wanting to make sure I was making the right decision. Again, that's like, is this all I can do or is this what I should be doing? And then a lot of that is, is, is this my fault? Like, you know, is it, is the system broken or is it me? Am I doing it all to myself? And certainly I like had people say, um, I had someone say to me like, well, you could get a job. It, funny. They used the coffee shop analogy, which I thought was really ironic. They were like, you could get a job at a coffee shop and you would burn yourself out. Cause it's just you. That's yeah. the kind of person you are. You would be there all the time. Um, and that made me really mad. Like, thankfully, yeah, I was at the point in in my journey where I was able to 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 get angry at that rather than to be mm -hmm. like, "Oh, yeah, you're right." And I think like yeah. it was all in one sentence. And then was like, "Well, you might as well just stay here and be miserable because mm -hmm. you would be miserable doing whatever you you would do. You would work your overwork yourself no matter what." Yeah. Um, and so um, happy that I was able to get angry at that and be like, "No, you know, it's not true." But a lot of like, I think I had a lot of thoughts of you know like. Like, what's wrong with me? Like, there are plenty of people in this profession, you know, there are people literally sitting next to me on either side of me who are doing pretty much the same thing and are happy and thrilled and saying, like, what are you talking about? We have the best job ever. Like, you know, how, why, yeah. how could you be unhappy doing this? And so for me, it was trying to figure out, trying to figure that out a little bit or kind of allow, allow myself to be okay with the fact that, like, it, it, it's really easy to be like, well, veterinary medicine is broken and it's awful and it's terrible and it did this to me and it's not my fault. Um, you know, but I think I had to spend some time trying to figure out, well, why are some people happy doing this and, and, and what's different about me and why am I not happy? Um, 
one thing that I think I found like a common denominator amongst a lot of my friends who are still in practice and loving it is that it was their, like their whole life was fed into it. So they had, you know, their husband was, you know, their partner in their practice or was a racehorse trainer or a bloodstock agent or, you know, somehow so that they didn't mind having to do a little bit of work when they were at the horse show on the weekend because they were also there showing their horse. And so, you know, it's like it kind of all fit in. So it didn't matter that it encroached on their family time because their family time was doing all of that stuff yeah, anyway. It ends up being their whole life. Yeah. But like that, that wasn't me. I think, um, you know, I've always loved sports and I've always played sports and in, in um, like grade school, I played field hockey. I played field hockey up to the um, like NCAA level in um, college. And then I discovered rugby um, and actually played rugby for 20 years, um, pretty, pretty high level in the U S. Um, and then actually played up in Brisbane for a few years when we got over here. And, and, you know, so my husband, and I met through rugby and, you know, not a vet, not a horse person. Um, so it was really hard to kind of mesh those two parts of kind of myself and, and my life of, you know, I think, I think if I had married a vet or, or didn't, you know, didn't have a significant other, I would have probably stayed and 100% um, dove into it, but because I had other parts of my life that I really enjoyed that I just wasn't able to express or spend time with, then um, I think for me that's what made made it different for me compared to to other people who are continuing to do those hours and and that type of work and and happy with it. You obviously mentioned sport there being a major part of your life, and and you've now found a career path within within sport, and, and we'll dig into that in a moment, but. I guess you gave yourself that chance to try working differently in the vet field and, um, you know, going part-time hours and, and you obviously did that while you did your MBA. Um, was there a particular moment, though, where you realized, this is it, I am going to move away from vet science and it could potentially be forever and this might be the last time I practice vet medicine? I think I think so. I think I was kind of already there in this, like, slow process and I kind of knew that that's where I would end up I just kind of had to convince myself that it was okay um and surprisingly like nobody in my life gave me a hard time about like none of my really close friends or family like I think I worried about that a lot too I worried that like my parents would be disappointed or you know like my friends I thought of all of my mentors all the people that helped me through and like not a single one of those people who actually matter to me like said boo about it at all which which I think was really great. But I do remember um, I kind of had already made the decision to transition. I was like a couple months from finishing my MBA um, and Massey University had called to see if I would come and fill in for them. So they had, ironically, someone in a very similar position to me that she was like the only vet that they had and she was working some crazy hours and they were like, we really need to give her a break. Like, could you come for a couple weeks and just cover so that she can actually have some time to, to do something else? And so I went and did did like two two week stints over there. Um, I was actually pregnant at the time with my daughter, um, which I think certainly is something I never would have done had I been practicing full time. Like we always kind of joke every time I kind of say like, oh, if I were still a vet, my husband's like, yeah, and that <laughs> yeah. little blonde thing over there wouldn't be here yeah. if you were. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I went over and um, and it was like, you know, a, a full university hospital, just like UQ. And um, we had like a great day. We saw some cases. The students were really great. 
I was like, oh man, you know, like this was really fun. I taught some rounds. We took some x-rays. <laughs> um, and then just as I was like getting ready to leave, they were like, oh, hey, we just got the first emergency mm. call. And like within the next 10 minutes, four, there were four emergencies like wow. on their way. Like one's a half an hour, one's coming two hours, you know? And like, that was the moment where I was like, yep, like, yeah, yep. this is it. Like I, I have, I've made the right decision. Like I had a great time today and I love thinking about cases, but like I'm pregnant and I'm tired <laughs> and it's six o'clock and I want to go home and lay down and I'm going to be here until two in the morning. <laughs> um, so maybe it was like in retrospect, that was like a moment of clarity where I was like, maybe like had this kind of sigh of relief of like, yes, like, yes, I've made, for me, I've made the right decision. <laughs> yeah, for sure. When you, had started thinking about moving away from the vet field and you you'd realized you know i'm burning out from this i'm going to need some change others had identified that you couldn't sustain the way that you were going did you reach out for help during that time yeah i was super resistant to that um but i did in little ways um probably not nearly as much as i should have um so i i've always been really resistant to to like traditional therapy um even though like my husband comes from a family of of psychologists and like it's you know a very welcome thing um and so i think i talked to people in the mba i talked to like the mba career counselors who are certainly not um proper counselors they just kind of focus on career type things um i talked to a lot of other people in my mba class i think we kind of had a high proportion of people who are also looking for for a career change. So it was good to hear other people coming from other, you know, someone who was actually in like organizational psychology and, you know, some people who are in the mining industry now kind of looking to do something different. Um, I did end up going and seeing a woman who was um, an organizational psychologist. I think that was kind of how I got my head around it, like not, not being the traditional therapy that I thought. So, um, but she was, and it was good because that's yep. what I needed. But I think it like allowed me to be like, oh no, I'm I'm just seeing a woman who's an organizational psychologist, not you know, not proper therapy. Um, and she really, I think she really helped unpack a lot of those ideas of yeah, like what do you like, what are you worried about? Like what's what's stopping you from making this change? And and then also because there was this big unknown. It's not like I had a specific job that I wanted. I just knew I wanted to solve really complicated problems. Um, and that's super vague. <laughs> um, and so I think the thing that she helped me with the most was one, like being okay with it. Like I'm not a bad person. It's not like I'm not like I like left my family. Like I left a career. Like, it'll, yeah. it'll keep going. There'll be plenty of people. But it's still um, often the hardest thing to sort of to come to grips with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that helps a lot. And then also I think helping, um, helping like frame the next steps because I think it, in some cases that person who made the jab about the coffee shop is a little bit right. Like I am really good at, at diving headfirst into things and not coming up for air. And I probably could have easily picked another career and gone full bore into it. And so she really kind of helped me think about not so much what do you want to do, but how do you want to live? And I think to me, that's like the worst thing that we do to ourselves. It's like we nobody ever asks you when you're a kid. Like they always say, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. But they never ask you, like, how do you want to be? Like, and I think if you had asked me 
like in high school or college, like, how do you want to be? I'd be like, I want to work really, really hard at a job that's really difficult. And then I want to like have a ton of fun on the weekends and have a lot of friends and play sports and do all this other stuff. And <laughs> Sounds like a great life. <laughs> yeah. Like then somebody probably would have been like, oh, maybe being a horse vet's <laughs> the best decision <laughs> if that's the way you want to live. <laughs> when I went to career counselors and said, I like solving really complicated problems and I don't necessarily care what the problem is. And they were like, management consultant, go work at McKinsey. I could say, you know what? No, I know that what that work culture is like, and that's not the type of lifestyle and work that I want to do. You know, it's the type of work that I want to do, but it doesn't fit into the grander scheme of the type of life that I want to have. So that was really helpful. I wish that I had known, there are a lot of really good resources out there for vets who are looking to transition. I think I just didn't Maybe they didn't exist then or I didn't know about them. But like currently I'm on uh, a Facebook page that's run by a woman in the UK. It's called um, Vets Go Stay or Diversify. And it's just kind of a huge collection of people from all over the world. And, you know, people throw up their situations and their questions and people pop on and say like, you know, hey, I used to be in practice and now I work in the government or, you know, now I now I paint on the weekends and and that's allowed me the mind space to stay in practice. And so that's been, I mean, even though I'm kind of, I guess, done with my transitioning out, I still find it fascinating to follow and to, to comment, help other people on their way. And it's something, I mean, it's something we've, we've sort of heard about a lot, speaking to a lot of vets since, since Flynn's passing, that a lot of people are going through the same sort of struggles where they've, they've devoted their whole lives to becoming a vet, to being a clinical vet or whatever they're doing in the field. And then when they get to that point where they feel like this isn't for me, I can't sustain this, that they have the same, they have the same struggles with, with sort of what can I do? Where can I go? Who can I turn to? And, and it's, and it's nice to hear that there are, that this Facebook group, there's a few places out there that can, that can sort of steer these people in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I do think there's, a, there's some good stuff out there, probably not nearly yeah. enough. And I still think yeah, it's, of course. It's also just really hard to to make that decision to to go to go there and to to talk about it. And that's it. There's, I mean, there's as you said, there's that much pressure put on you because you've you've probably got a huge loan from from your studies. You've you've done four, five, six years of of study to to get to where you are, and then you might be a year or two in and decide that it's not for you. And it's a it's a big decision to have to make, but it is, it is. And I think, again, as you say, yeah. And I think the other thing too, because, because it's, it is such like a, a, a difficult journey of becoming a vet. So you're, you are putting in so much time and effort. You kind Mm. of forget that that part of your life also counts that like you've lived that life. Like you can, yeah, exactly. I think you're really, I, I was really good at being like, well, that, just kind of cancel those years out. They kind of don't count because all I did was study and go to school and do my residency. And um, yeah. so it, it is hard to be like, man, I like if you count undergrad vet school and the residency, that's like 12, 12 years mm-hmm. of, of, yeah. of training that I did to then practice for about 12 years and then yeah. um, and then stop to be like, wow. But I, I try now to think like, well, I learned an awful lot along the way. And it really it wasn't the only thing that I was doing. So. And that all of that stuff is transferable, even if you don't, you know, even if on the surface you don't think that it would be. Exactly, and yeah, you found a way to to use the skills that you've learnt along the way to to influence a new career. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Uh, and 
you obviously spent a lot of time already studying to to become a veterinarian. You you had your undergrad and then your DVM. Um, you've then worked professionally around America and, and moved to Australia. To then make that decision to actually go back to school, back to university to do your MBA, that that's an incredibly bold move and and daunting. Yeah, yeah, it was um, like a big investment financially and a big investment time wise and kind of juggle, you know, like I'm doing this to have a better work-life balance, but for the next two years, it's actually going to be way, way worse. Mm -hmm. uh, um, But I think, I think one, I lucked out in that the cohort that I went through the MBA with were some phenomenal people that I still talk to every day. Um, It was a face-to-face MBA as well. So we were in person for all of the classes, which I think made it, made it much more of that, that connection than, than if I were just doing it online. Yep. Um, cause you kind of felt like you were show you had, you kind of had to show up every day for everybody else as well. And so I think, yeah, that, that really helped. And also, I mean, like I love traditional study. I mean, I've like, I think I have like 12 letters after my name and this sort of thing going, going back to school wasn't as difficult for me as maybe <laughs> other people. Cause yeah. I really love to be in school. Like joke a lot about when I'll get my PhD, but <laughs> <laughs> you've still got time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I think for me. For me making, making yeah, for making, because I knew that whatever I was going to transition to wasn't going to have anything to do with the veterinary industry. So I had kind of decided early on that I think I, I needed to really distance myself from that. Um, otherwise, I would just get sucked back in. So like I wasn't interested in getting an industry job or working for government in the veterinary field or, or in the horse industry or anything like that. So it was like, I'm going to need something. One, I'm going to need like a baseline understanding of how other businesses work because veterinary hospitals don't function like normal businesses. So there's like just lots of stuff I didn't know um, and something like on the resume to to really show that that I was le- I was legit about this, that I wasn't going to change my mind. I even had a, like some of the first interviews I did for some um, consulting roles while I was in the MBA, you know, p- people would say like, well, like, how do I know you're not you're not going to do this for six months to a year and then decide that you want to go back to veterinary medicine, um, which is a really hard question to answer <laughs> without getting negative and dark about like, trust me, yeah. I'm definitely not go- not going to go back yeah. to that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, I have lived this journey and I have thought long and hard about this and I'm, and yeah. this is what I'm going. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think the fact that I had like then, like I'm so serious about it that I committed to this thing and have this diploma kind of helped um, helped mm. in that respect as well, like convince people that I was serious about a, a career change. So the role now in sport with Cricket Australia, uh, it'd be great for you to explain what you do and, and how you challenge and are challenged um, in your day-to-day work. And you were saying to me when we caught up that um, you found that there's substance and there's ticker in this job uh, and it's been a really good fit for you. Yeah. So I'm in the strategy department. So I'm the strategy and insights manager. So we kind of, I guess, run all of the strategic thinking of how, you know, how we, how the company sets goals and, and, and kind of how we work together as an organization. But then the insights part of my job is managing, I guess, like our, our big research provider. So, and, and doing kind of research into how, how people are reacting to cricket. So I kind of 
am, am kind of running or in charge of distributing all of like the television numbers and our, our kind of fan research and um, market research to kind of see where the opportunities are, you know, what are other sports doing? Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's fat, it's fascinating. Like you wouldn't, you would never, I don't think as a fan never thought about how complicated sport could be. Um, and there's some really, they're really big problems. And, and I think for me, one of the things I realized as I was kind of, of looking back of, um, well, what do I want to do after, leaving that I tried to think like, well, what were times in my life previously when I actually really was happy with everything with, with how like all of life was going. And it was definitely, it was, you know, like undergrad and vet school where I was working really hard, but when you're just taking classes, you know, you're just in class from nine to five. And so I still had like nights and weekends to do other things. And so, so during college and vet school, you know, I was playing rugby. So I was training, you know, two to three days a week and games on weekends. And I had this huge support system of the women and the men in the clubs that I was part of. Um, it's how I met my husband. Um, and I, that I loved that. So I loved that, that kind of sport has always been one of this really big positive thing. Um, and I think, you know, once I started to learn more about how businesses ran and how things were working, um, I started to kind of apply that to the other parts of, of, things that I love to think about. And so it always kind of came up of how sport is being run and certainly being a rugby union tragic. Um, it's been hard to live in Australia as a rugby union tragic. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was, oh, yeah, especially Melbourne. Yeah. And so I think in, in one of like my rants about how, like, if I ran rugby Australia, this is what I would do. Um, an NBA classmate of mine was like, you know, why don't you work in sport? Because, we talk about it all the time and we talk about like what we would do. And he was actually, he's um, a Pakistani cricket fanatic. And so like we would talk about, you know, these, these massive industries that sport is. And that was the first time I really thought about like, man, you know, it, it's been this one constant, this one very positive constant in my life. Um, you know, and I would love to help it, even though I think some, you know, like, cause even helping the professional level helps the grassroots level. And so, you know, if, if we can, give more people the opportunity to make connections and be healthy and enjoy themselves and enjoy life, whether it be through playing a sport or watching a sport or helping their kids play a sport, like then that's, that's a really good thing that, that we should be putting out into the world. And so that's kind of where I, that's how I got to thinking about sport um, as a way. But yeah, I think, you know, we do, we do answer, we do answer really tough problems. And, and a lot of the questions that I think get asked of us, in like the strategy and the insights maybe don't have answers or you're a little bit thinking of trying to look in a crystal ball. Well, you know, especially now, like what are people going to do when we come back off of the restrictions? Um, you know, like will people come to stadiums after this in the same numbers that they did before? How, how long will it take? Um, and so I love kind of diving into the data to try to, to, to find those threads and, yeah, there certainly are a lot of hard questions that need to be answered pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's something that you've been at for a few years. Do you feel like that that this is the path you're on for good now? Or do you feel like you're sort of easing, sort of thinking again about VET? Oh, I mean, no, I, I don't think I'll ever go back to VET yep. for gainful employment. I do. Yep. Like I like to keep up to date with stuff and to read. And I, I still love thinking about cases. And I, I said when I first kind of made the decision to leave, I said, well, within a year, I'll start volunteering. Um, and, um, 
do some like what they call them like equitarian trips where you go places where where horses and and donkeys are used as as work animals and and kind of give back in that way um then i had my daughter and then we moved to melbourne <laughs> and so that hasn't happened yet but but i'm still committed that someday like i you know i won't i won't let all of the information sit up there for nothing um but yeah i'm i'm pretty happy having moved away from it as like my full-time role um and i love what i do right now so i i would like to think that i'll stick with this for as long as they'll have me but there is also something really freeing about knowing that you can make a complete change and so i yeah. think like you know with the kind of uncertainty that certainties that's come around covid and certainly sport is not probably not the best place to be right now <laughs> um, as yeah. far as like a essential essential service um some would argue it is yeah yeah i mean i think it is but i mean it does give <laughs> some comfort to know that like if things went pear-shaped that i have the ability to reinvent myself like because i've done it yeah. like and i could yeah i could make it work so i think that maybe has helped lower my anxiety level through all of this of that even if the worst case scenario happens like i have the ability to get myself out of it because i've done it before and and i'll, I'll do it again if, if you know if i want to or need to yeah well well said too and and well done to you for taking that leap um, and the opportunity to, to change your career and to change your line of work. Um, we know that veterinarians join the, uh, the industry for the right reasons and, and it really is a passion-led field and um, it's something that you, that you put your whole self into and you clearly did that and, and you clearly put your whole self into to everything that you do. And the other thing to take from this is that uh, the other things in your life, the other things you're passionate about or interested in can can take, um, can take add and, and complement professional life. I guess um, when we talk about work-life balance, that's exactly what we're, we're heading towards is finding that balance of things that you love versus the thing that you love to do uh, for a career. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think we're all really similar people who get, like you said, because we've all kind of gotten into it for the same reasons and for really good reasons. Um, and I think like, it's important to let people know that there is other stuff that they can do with that same drive and passion. Um, I think I did worry about that a little, like, would I just be like at a desk job that I didn't care about making money so that I could go do fun things on the weekend. But I've been able actually been able to find a job that I feel like just as passionately about that. I think that I am, really making a difference and helping people. So yeah, so I think it, it kind of ticks those boxes for me as, as you know, like fulfilling that kind of passion led part of life. Yeah. And that you sort of never need to feel like you're, you're stuck in life and you're, you're stuck where you are with, with no way out that there's, there's always somewhere else to go. And there's always somewhere that somewhere else that you can use the skills that you already have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what I'm, I, if I had to say about the transition that I'm most passionate about is helping other people people that I've talked to that want to transition of kind of how to craft their story to, sh to really show that their skills are transferable because they are. Yeah. They're like so much stuff. And, you know, you never say it out loud at work because nobody would understand, but I think in my head, like, oh man, this is just like when I had to make that blankety blank decision of this and that, you know? <laughs> and um, Yeah, it is. Um, we're really, we're really smart and driven and skilled people. We can do an awful lot, <laughs> lot of different things if we want to. <laughs> Hundred percent. Exactly right. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks so much for your time. Um, thanks for the chat. And, yeah, of course. And thanks for being so open. And uh, I look forward to hearing about 
some of those volunteer projects maybe that uh, evolve um, and we see you back out amongst the horses. Yeah, absolutely. If any if anybody has suggestions, definitely let me know. And I and I'm I'm also happy to chat one on one with people if somebody listens to this and is curious about more of the details of my stuff. More than happy to to have a chat. Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time, Joan. It's 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 been great chatting. Yeah, great. It was great to talk to you guys too. We appreciate Joan stopping by for a chat across the uh, the Zoom universe that we found ourselves working in, Jez. Um, but it's it's really good to hear a story of someone who's taken on that career change, that real transition, throwing moving overseas, make, building a family, all the rest of it. Um, incredible to hear. Uh, but it, it would hopefully give a lot of people some support and maybe a little bit of confidence that. Um, if something isn't working for you, then uh, there can be a little bit more to life and, and there are options and, and ways to change. Yeah, that's right. You're, ne- you're never really stuck in what you're doing, even if even if it's something you've been doing for half your life. You, there's always room to change. There's always room to adapt and, and pivot, it, as they say. That's that's the new hot word. Um, so, oh, yeah, mate, absolutely. Don't ever feel like you're stuck in anything. I you start getting a bit dizzy talking about pivoting um, as much as we do. But uh, Jez, of course, as always, um, we like to just bring it home uh, and remind people that there are support services available. Um, There's so many great channels out there, phone numbers and websites. Can you want to uh, remind us of a few of those? There certainly are. It's always important to look after yourself and make sure that if you're not feeling well and you're not not coping, then you reach out to people or services um, there are plenty of services, including Beyond Blue, Kids Helpline, Headspace, Are You OK? Um, if you're in a crisis or if you need urgent help, call Lifeline on 131114. You can also call the Suicide Callback Service, or if you feel it's an emergency, please call triple zero. Jez, thanks for another uh, great chat today. And we will be continuing this on um, to bridge the gap while we're not walking, but hopefully beyond that as well. And I've enjoyed chatting with you again. And thanks to Joan for her time. Likewise. See you in the next one.